Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and the Trump presidency for the New Spectator USA website. This morning I went to a hotel in Mayfair to meet Michael Wolfe, who is a world-famous journalist and the author of Fire and Fury. And we talked about his new book about the Trump presidency, which is called Siege. Uh, and I'm sorry if the sound quality is a little odd, but we were recording in his hotel room. It was in 2016, I think I read a piece by you about how all journalists were getting Donald Trump wrong because they were so busy sort of clutching their pearls and shrieking in horror at what was happening that they were missing the fact this was maybe the greatest story of all time. I don't think anyone can accuse you of having missed the story, but are you still amazed at how little journalists seem to concentrate on the story and how often they just grandstand about Trump? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that that m- most journalists, at least most journalists in the circles that I that I move in, are are incredibly divided about this. That that you have to see Trump as as the ideological enemy, as the ideological nadir of modern culture. Yeah. In a way that eclipses the ability to see him as <laughs> as the most amazing figure of our time. Yeah. Um so so and, and and I and I understand this and I can certainly certainly sympathize with seeing this as the nadir of something or other. Yeah. But at this at the same time from from on just a, a a dramatic level of the inability certainly the inability of my imagination to have to create something like Trump. Yes. And to is it an American journalist thing in that I think American journalists take their civic responsibility very seriously and they think they've sort of got to protect democracy in a way that perhaps British journalists don't. And, and that's why they think they've got to do something about Trump rather than just tell this amazing story. Yeah, no, story. no, I, th- I, think, I think very much. And maybe, and, and actually, I detect that that's sort of seeped over here into the coverage of Boris. Yes. And, and, and there may be, you know, I mean, I mean there is not a <laughs> somewhat of an imperative to protect democracy. <laughs> but... But at the same time, to understand this guy, to, to, to see this, you know, a uh, hundred years from now, people are still going to be saying, oh, my God, yeah. this was. Um, and so the, the natural thing is saying in, in the old, who is this person? I mean, who is this creature? Mm. This is a creature anomalous in every way. So to be able to sit, so, so to constantly put him in that political context, essentially judging him against all of the the assumptions that we judge politicians against, means you're not going to get any kind of answer. You're just going to confuse yourself and, you know, grasp your, pull up your panties. I I don't know. It's, um, and instead of saying, okay, wait a minute, we're we're beyond the usual now. We're we're in another, another dimension. And is that why you think, you, it's partly why Fire and Fury was such a success, was that you, you told the story as, as, as a story. As it was, it's a gripping insight well, into... I mean, I think my, in, in, in my 
And the same is true of CJ. And yeah, and my job, I, I mean, I saw, saw my job here is different from a, from, you know, a, a daily journalist's job. This was not for what's the record here. It's, it's, it's literally a writer's job. How, how do you take someone inside this experience? This is a totally aberrant experience. You have no, no way into this except, mm. except if someone takes you there. And that was what, my, that's what I thought, thought my job, well, my, my talent was, and that's what my job was. Um, so if you read these two books, read, uh, I think you get a, you know, probably a closer, a closer idea of what this feels like. The texture, the language, the, um, the 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 nature of reality. But there's been quite a lot of professional resentment, I'd say, towards the success of your book. I mean, there's a lot of people who question your sourcing. I think you take quite a new journalistic approach to, you know, dialogue or something like that. You know, you you would relate dialogue which you've heard second or. Secondhand, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I suppose that that's that, yeah, that's that's true. again, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm looking for the techniques that that let me render the experience. Yeah, the techniques are literary. I, I don't know if it's so exceptional. You know, Bob Woodward produces pages of dialogue, yes. and since I've interviewed the same sources as Bob Bob Woodward, I know that dialogue doesn't exist. Yes, um, but without wanting to flatter it, you, I think his stuff is unreadable, so people think it's more authentic. Possibly. Yes. Possibly. <laughs> So and, and 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 I don't know. I mean, one of the things about about this this journalism issue is is that I, you know, try to say there are going to be many, 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 many versions of how to understand this moment in time. Um, so that the idea that there is just this one thing that it's the New York Times or it's the Washington Post is odd. Yeah. You know, this is going to. I, I mean. I mean, we we will see documentaries, we will see novels, we will see it's it's just going to go. Nobody has unlocked the key to memorializing this moment yet. I think the key must be in the psychology of Donald Trump, and that's something you're very interested in. Do you feel, having you know looked at Rupert Murdoch, having looked at sort of studied rich people a lot, you have a kind of innate or a quicker understanding of how Trump works, how he thinks. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I might say that I'm a New York guy and yeah. Trump is a New York guy and neither of us are Washington guys. And, um, you know, most of the writing about Trump is from Washington people. It's from the Washington press corps. It's, it's people whose profession is, is involved with, with the traditional behavior of politicians. Yes. Um, and so I think that that's kind of hard to understand. Donald Trump, there was a funny thing in, in um, there's a point in, in Siege where I talk about uh, uh, Barr, the, the, the attorney general, goes around and saying, people say, you, you know, why he's going to take this job. And he says, I'm going to take this job because I, I, if, if, I, if I manage to survive this, you know, and if I do this, thread this the, the, this needle, and the Republican Party doesn't implode, and um, <laughs> I, I can really make a lot of money. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, and some, and the New York Times, 
you know, took issue with this and they said, well, on his disclosure forms, he's already said he's worth $22 million. So why would he want to make more money? Yeah. And it's like, Do you, know you, that? <laughs> you must be a journalist because... <laughs> But I mean, I suppose that one thing you get from Siege, and uh, there was a lot of it in Fire and Fury too, of this, the way Trump creates his own reality. And there was a bit in, in Siege about how often when things are busiest, he will go into his bubble the most and he'll sort of look at his list of accomplishments or things like that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I mean, I think that the, that the, that the, that the almost the entire nature of, of, of Donald Trump and of understanding Donald Trump is to see him as creating this own reality that he does live inside a bubble for his entire life. Mm. What what is the Trump organization but this this structure to facilitate him doing whatever he wants to do yeah. um, without any restraint? Which is why I think this story last night about the Iran attack being launched and being pulled back is quite telling, perhaps in that. You know, war is the, is the is the great shatterer of illusions. It will, and Trump actually might be reluctant to strike because he knows that he can't create his own reality if a war starts. Well, I'll even go further further than that. You know, war is incredibly complicated, yeah. especially modern war, which is all information driven. Um, you know, the product of of data analysis. You know, it's a it's a PowerPoint process. These are all things that Trump can't do. Yeah. Information can't do. Data can't do. PowerPoint, yes. they put on the PowerPoint, he is literally out of the meeting. Um, yeah. um, There's that Bannon quote in the book about winning the second. Yeah, as long exactly. as he wins the second, he's yes. good. Yeah. Yeah. No, but and, he can't do the minute or the hour. Yeah. yeah, so imagine that. I mean, if, if war is a, you know, data is a decision matrix with every decision leading to five more decisions, you know, Trump doesn't do decisions. So therefore, in a way, he can't go to war. Right. Yeah. Uh, what's, I mean, silver lining. <laughs> what, well, I know. I mean, that's why I think it actually makes him quite... The, the improvisational style might be, a, might be a blessing in a way when you look at Iraq. Or... Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, and that's sort of one of the, you know, in a, in a way, a, a, a kind of Trumpian point. You know, the experts get us into trouble. You know, the experts are, are capable of... of analyzing data but instead it seems to be you know he talks to tucker carlson who says don't bomb iran and then he watches sean or talks to sean hannity who says do bomb iran and so he's got these two competing voices in his head i mean how how true do you think the whole idea that he just reacts to fox news is is that no i think he reacts to i mean i think one of the hidden things is he actually watches cnn more than fox yes fox news you know he watches tell i mean he i mean that's it's it's that that idea of seeing him as the Fox News people are are are, are speaking to him, which is true, is is part of a larger pic- picture of this. Just just television is coming in. This the television thing mm. is 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 constant. So he lives in this this strange relationship to the television, in in which the television is it, it, it's his social. It's his social world. It's always on. He knows those the people who who are on. He feels they are speaking to them in a way he is speaking speaking to them. So this replaces the the traditional. You know, the advisors come into the Oval Office and and the political leaders come into the Oval Office and we sit down and we 
and we discuss the fate of the world. Yeah. And when it comes to Muller, which is a you know, very central to Siege, how involved do you think Trump was in the whole drama, the, the reality TV drama of the Muller inquiry? How, how much was he thinking about it in those terms? I think he was thinking in terms of, he's, here's a guy who's been in litigation for 45 years. Yeah. Nonstop. Never a day in his professional life he's not in litigation. People literally trying to take something from him, bring him down, put him into a corner in which he's, um, in which he's going to be judged in a way that is highly disadvantageous to mm. him. This is what he does. How do I fight back against that? And he's been incredibly successful throughout his whole, whole career. But at the same time, he didn't, even on something this important, he doesn't want to pay for an expensive lawyer. And that's, that's, yes, that's partly because he literally is a cheap guy. <laughs> and he literally, you know, there's this whole thing in, in, in his head about people profiting off of him. Mm. He profits off of other people. They don't profit off of him. And the world divides that way. But at the same time, it's also, you know, I know better than the lawyers. Yeah. Know, nobody's going to tell me anything. I, I know, and, and in a way, this is true. If you had responded to Mueller in a, in a very highly traditional way, in a process way, you would have given Mueller the opportunity for him to respond in a process way. And in Trump's case... I think that would have been, again, highly disadvantageous to Trump. Yeah. But so he forces Mueller to, re to play his game, which is an asymmetrical game. Mm. I don't know what, what I'm going to do at, at, any, at any point. It's yeah. not about me testifying. It's not about me accepting the process of, 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 this, of this proceeding. I'm going to I'm going to fuck you. Yeah. And you don't know how I'm going to fuck you. And that's what I've gotten into your head that you don't know when I'm going to hit you at which point and how and what the effect of that is going to be. How a lot of people talk about Trump's IQ. How intelligent do you think he is? And if he is intelligent, what sort of intelligence is it? There's one of a, a, a Trump guy who's worked with Trump for 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 a long time. He's, Positive feelings about him, mixed feelings about him, is just part of this this mm. this Trump world. And so, at one point, I sat down with him, and I'm trying to work this out, and I'm asking exactly the kind of questions that that that, that you're asking now. And and he kind of stops and he looks at me and he says, "You don't get it, do you?" I said, "What?" And he said, he, "He's an idiot." <laughs> um, and, and and I think and was that at that moment when he said this cuz cuz you're 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 fighting that how could this be there must be some explanation yeah. but at the moment he said this you think you know the 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 mist clears and you think yes that's it and so the the explanation for for how he succeeds is is as and, and I, th I think you have to take it out of that realm and put it into the other realm of his true profession of the, where he has succeed, succeeded he's an actor Mm. And and he has you know many actors are idiots, yeah. possibly most, but they have a certain set of of intuitive gifts 
you know, for and needs. They need attention. Yes. Um, they need attention like 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 we need food, and so you have to you have to get it, or you're going to die. And and you have a very good line in the book about how, like an actor, his self destructive instincts are always in conflict with his survival instincts. Come, yeah, yeah. A- absolutely. This is what an actor does. You know, you're you're pushing out to a to a to the precipice on which you get the most attention because you're going to die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then sometime somehow you pull back or not. Yeah. Uh, I think go back to Muller the. Probably the biggest bombshell in your book is uh, that Muller had an indictment. He'd prepared an indictment. It was there's a document of it. Did you see? Have you seen the document? In my hands. In yes. your hands. Um, yeah. I can tell and, you, it sits on my desk. So you can reproduce it at at at, at any time. Yes, moment. and you know it was an interesting thing, you know, because I, I actually think it was the Guardian who 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 called, um, you know, who called the Muller people and. And they responded to the document, and and they said um, um, uh, the document as described does not exist. Yes. And I thought that's a non-denial denial for you. <laughs> um, and the and the document, I mean, I know it exists because I I I I, I have it. And and what it is specifically is it's a fifty-six page document which assumes that the president has been indicted, assumes that the president has gone into court and asked for the indictment to be dismissed on the grounds that you can't indict a sitting president. This document, this 56-page document, is an answer to that. And it has uh, two parts. The first part outlines the nature of the indictment, mm. um, and so which I describe as the draft of the indictment. And then the second part of this is an argument about about why, in fact, the special counsel can indict the president. Now, these are two things that obviously would have happened. I mean, they spent two years on this on this investigation. Obviously, they had to go over uh, over the terms of a possible indictment of of the president, even if they decided not to do it, which they didn't do it. You would want to have a scenario for this in, 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 in front of you. And you would have wanted to debate the idea, can we indict this, 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 right, yeah. this president? And, you know, the ultimate issue, the Mueller thing is, no, we didn't indict the president because we can't indict the president. But that's so, actually not true. There's been a whole, you know, there's a whole legal... But forgive me, it's, so it isn't an indictment. It's a document assuming an indictment has happened about whether it's legal. Or is it both? It, it, is an, it, it outlines the terms. In other words, it assumes that an indictment has happened. Yeah. This is the indictment. It then outlines it. I, right. I don't have the indictment. Yeah. So, so the special counsel, I suppose, was, was technically accurate in, in, in saying that. Yes. I mean, if, if the Guardian said, and I don't know what they said, you know, he says he has an indictment. Yeah. Uh, there may not be an indictment. What there is, however, is a a a very meticulously laid out scenario of an indictment. It's three counts. Here are the appropriate laws. Here's here's the you know it's it's, it's twenty pages in which it goes through all of the particulars of why they of of this indictment and why the indictment is being brought. And as you um, were going through the as you were writing preparing this book. Were you expecting that Muller was going to 
end up with an indictment? I mean, would, you, would, would it have made the book... Would, would, did you want the book to be the story of how Trump got indicted? Well, I, I, I would have... Yeah, I mean, it would have been great if the... If the I suppose <laughs> if the story was about how Trump was, yes, run out of office on a, on, a, yeah. on a rail, that would have been somewhat more dramatic, I suppose. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I always knew that I didn't know what was going to happen in, in this. So I was trying to sort of chart the experience of, of this being, you know, the, the constant through, through the second year of the Trump administration. Yeah. And then I would finish the book at the moment in which there was some denouement. Yeah. And when did you realise that there was going to be no collusion charge? I mean, I realise it's more complicated than just collusion. But You know, I always thought that the collusion charge was going to be a difficult one. And I kind of intuitively understood what the Trump people un- understood, that there may have been, you know, there's all kinds of weird stuff here. Mm. You know, but the idea of, of putting this together and wrapping this into a conspiracy package was going to be kind of difficult. Yeah, which is which is perhaps the most amazing thing about the whole Mueller inquiry is that because the expectations were set so high, largely by the media, I'd say, you know, all this stuff about Trump, which even in today, you may say people just aren't that shocked by politicians anymore, but even today you'd think would be quite shocking. It just so fell away. Completely, no, and I, and, and I think it did. I mean, I think the media, you know, you know, the media role here for, you know, getting the entire rise, missing the entire rise of Trump, missing the fact that 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 he was a you know a viable candidate, missing everything about about that, I mean, phenomenally missing it. I mean, yeah. one of the great great journalism fuck ups of all time, yeah. um, and then getting on board and literally everybody mm. on board with the Russia thing on the basis of you know there were a few a few articles in the summer of 2016 you know you know notably Franklin Fuhr I guess in the Atlantic I, I don't yeah. know I mean a, a totally good good piece um you know, a kind of piece asking the questions because there's weird stuff about Trump's relationship to Russia. Yeah. But having taken that essentially speculative piece and then having transposed that in, into a set of charges, mm. you know, that, that he actually conspired with, with the Russian government, et cetera, et cetera, was a, a, a journalism, uh, you know, what, whatever. I often think that, it, I mean, in... My experience of it is that a lot of journalists are very influenced when they hear something from an intelligent source, rather too much so. And so intelligent sources that were definitely trying to create this picture uh, were taken as... I think it was a confusing thing for, you know... I mean, there is something. Trump's relationship with Putin and Russia is odd. Yeah. It's almost inexplicable. But, it, I mean, I often think that's just because Putin, the way Putin operates is so odd. And, I mean, the way Russians operate... I, 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 I think that there's probably a lot, of, a, 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 lot of, a lot of reasons which have nothing to do with, with a grand conspiracy. You know, and it may go back to Trump is an idiot. Yeah. I mean, why would he do this? Because he can't, he, 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 he can't think in terms of cause and effect. Yes, Another interesting aspect, which comes out a little bit in the book, is um, China 
and that, you know, could Trump be as compromised by China as he supposedly was by Russia? I mean, is that something you're going to... I, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, the China thing is, you know, I mean, Trump, the Trump administration has been incredibly aggressive to China. Mm. You know, that's a, it's a sort of a Bannon... I mean, it's part of the Bannon piece there. Yes. You know, now Bannon will sort of, sort of explain this, and, and, and he says that, you know, Trump is, that's one of the things, one of their points of intersection. You know, why Bannon would describe Trump as his vessel, because Trump understood, as Bannon says, China bad. Yeah. Um, now, Bannon goes, for, goes on further to say that if somebody else comes into the office and says, you know, no, no, China is very complicated, mm. and Trump is, is out the door, and he's, you know, he yeah. doesn't want to deal with China. <laughs> but, you know, having said that, that's, the, there is a consistent theme of this administration. Um, we're going to make China, China is the bad guy, and we're going to follow through on that. Mm. And I think, I mean, I think the the Bannon position that 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 the last two years have changed the way the the U.S. establishment looks at China is probably is probably true. But I mean, you, you hear sort of whispers really in reports that perhaps because of Jared Kushner uh, and all that funding for that property six 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 property that there may be some China compromise and that Kushner was pushing Trump against being aggressive towards China, or is that just Bannon talking? No, I, th- I, think, I think it is true, and it's one of the other layers of this, of this administration that you have, you have Jared Kushner essentially conducting foreign policy in the areas of the world that, that his business has depended upon f- for financing and that will in the future mm. turn to for more financing. I mean, this is totally like, you know, one of the most gobsmacking yeah. facts about this 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 administration that it is a um, that the senior members of it are at the same time clearly working for their own account. Yes, and I mean with Kushner, his national security clearance was revoked or was withheld for that very reason. And in your book, you say that Trump went along with that for a bit because he was actually quite angry with with Kushner. Right. Yeah, and well, in this specific instance, he was particularly angry for Kushner because Kushner had gotten some, um, the Kushner companies have got had gotten some piece of financing from a, from a source that had never given Trump any money. Yeah, and so you know, Trump again, it was who's who's profiting off of whom. Yeah. You got this money because I'm the president. I got nothing out of it. And. And it seems from the narrative in your book that the, when Trump is angry at Kushner, it's Ivanka who comes in and says, you know, Daddy, it's OK. How is that a fair representation? Yeah, I, of the I think so. I mean, Kushner, remember, everybody has wiped, washed out of this administration. So the, the set of senior, senior people who came in on January 20th, 2017... You know, six, seven, eight months later, they're all gone. Mm. The second set that replaces them, they wash out. So the only person who is really left standing, who who was significant at the beginning and who's still significant, is Jared Kushner. Mm. Why is that? Well, because he's married to the president's daughter. And in terms of corruption, without wanting to say anything libelous, he could really be the Achilles heel 
of, of this administration. Well, I think that there are one of the dis- distinctive things about this administration is that it's almost all Achilles heel. <laughs> I mean, it's this, almost the savings grace. There are so many Achilles heel. Everybody's running around saying which is the which is the worst, which is the ultimate asymmetric yeah. corruption. <laughs> but it is this this uh, this thing that's almost inexplicable. How is it that someone could uh, could be guiding the foreign foreign policy through myriad relationships in which he can be expected at some point to profit from. Yes, and a very young man who, he may have some sort of smarts, but, I mean, how can he be expected to be knowledgeable about... Well, forget... I'm not even forgetting the fact that he has no experience, brings nothing yeah. relevant to the table, except that he has a family relationship to the President of the United States. Yes. Put that aside. And that he knows the region because he's Jewish. <laughs> that was the other yes. reason for putting right. him in and charge. He doesn't, the, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, he has, you know, you know, and this is, you know, I mean, it's a sea change. The the institutional point about U.S. foreign policy, you know, and the kind of the historic advance is that it is all institutionally driven. That that you know, individual relationships are um, are overwhelmed by the size and the and the structure of the foreign policy establishment. So that was just wiped away. Now it's just. Call Jared. Jared will talk to the president. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned Bannon. Bannon is uh, well known to be quite a big source for this book. Some people say you over-rely on Bannon as a source. Uh, How important was he in creating your perception of Trump world? Uh, Important, but there are, are, I mean, enormous. There's nobody in Trump world who I have not really spoken to. You know, I mean, I think the Bannon's presence in in the book does not is not just as a source, but he is part of the story that I'm telling. This is a story about one of the most peculiar political relationships of our time. These two guys need each other, hate each other, um, don't exist without each other, you know, don't talk to each other, but are obsessed with what each other are saying. It's from from a writer's point of view, it's an irresistible and do you think that's still true of Trump, or has he, as he claims, obviously this is a public claim, but that he's sort of dismissed Bannon as a, as a loony who's gone... No, no, I'm obsessed with Bannon, and understands at some level, I actually think at some, some direct level, because, you know, he's constantly having conversations with, with, with this, that, that he will probably, if he is to be re-elected, it probably or would advisedly involve bringing Bannon back into the campaign. And you think that's realistic? You think that might happen? No. no. I don't. I mean, I just think the relationship is too dysfunctional at this point. It's too... This is the ultimate bad marriage. But is it that he's... In Bannon, he sees somebody who understands the deplorables, who he knows he... As Bannon calls them, the deplorables, the base, who he needs... I think he, he he understands that, and I think he understands that he got elected the first time because of Steve Bannon. That, yeah. He disputes that, though, doesn't he? I mean, he, he, he says he actually played quite a minor part in... Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's how you know that he played a, a major part. <laughs> yeah. And Bannon is obsessed with... Well, not obsessed is probably a bit wrong. Well, probably actually it's fair to say obsessed with China. And... The reason I say, you know, will this be the next part of the story is that the 
trade relations, the trade war with China is going to become one of the big themes of the presidency. And if there are compromising economic partnerships between members of the Trump circle and China, that's more likely, is it not, to bring down Trump than Russia, which geopolitically is yeah, less, I don't, is less I, I, I don't know. I mean, there, there could, you, you know... Um, you know, the Bannon point of view is that you know, private capital in the in the U.S. has aligned with China. Mm. You, you know, they've aligned with China because they've the the growth of the Chinese consumer market is is so powerful and so and so profitable. Mm. In Bannon's view, that that is an alignment against the interests of the U.S. worker. Whether or not this is true is. Is, is, is not the point, but that is certainly, that's the Bannon view. And in the Bannon view, the, the U- U.S. capital has become a kind of fifth column in its relationship to China. Mm. Trump is, is caught between these, these, these two things. You know, he theoretically runs a populist government. At the same time, Trump is beholden to uh, one of... Yeah, the billionaires in this club of American capital who are aligned with China. Yes. So where where does where does he go? And that's I mean I would say that this is for Bannon this is the central thing. Yeah. And Bannon certainly does not trust Trump to do the right thing. Yes. And finally, Boris Johnson is about to become prime minister. It seems inevitable. And you wrote a very good feature about him for Vanity Fair quite a long time ago in which you said he was going to be Prime Minister. So hats off for your prediction. But um, everybody obsesses over the similarities between Trump and Boris. Do you see them as similar figures, similar forces in politics? Well, let me, let me concentrate on, their, on their, their personal similarities. I don't think that there are personal similarities. Mm. I, mean, I mean, Trump is, is, is truly dumb. Yeah. I mean, what, whatever his survival instincts and whatever his ability to, as, as, an, as a performer and, and an actor, um, you know, he has zero analytic abilities. Uh, you, you know, he has, he has a zero knowledge base when it comes to, um, uh, when it comes to governing um, and, 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 and a zero interest in, in, in all of the relevant aspects of, of of this, I mean, obviously Boris is not dumb, and actually he's he's um, possibly too smart for his own good. Um, yeah. You know, but he is entirely. You know, the other thing about about notable thing about Trump is that Trump is incoherent. Mm. He speaks, and and again, Boris, you know, maybe maybe is too coherent. But but these are these are truly opposite kinds of of intellectual and philosophic figures. Mm. So then the question is, are they temperamentally similar? Maybe, you know, I think they yeah. both like an audience, but, but, you know, but, but Boris is a, um, I mean, Boris has spent his life, I mean, his, his life either as an, as an editor or as a, as a political person. You know, Trump hasn't done any of this. He's just in a, a person of, yeah. of, who has in some profound way never worked a day in his life. I suppose the only way in which they're similar is that as political phenomena, they both keep rising even though nobody can quite believe it. And people think it's ridiculous, but it still happens. 
Yeah, but you know, Trump's rise as a politician is is has been brief. Yeah. Whereas Boris's rise as a politician has, you know, I mean, as I've been writing about this about Boris for what 16, 17 years on now. <laughs> um, so that's less than less yeah. than 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 brief. You know, you know, Trump is a phenomenon. H- how it happened, you know, that's that's yeah. the story that we're trying to un- understand. Boris has been pretty dogged. If yeah. you think think about this, and you know, and it's a, t- a t- kind of a you know a, a you know in a way a valiant career of continuing to show up yeah. at points where other people would have retreated. Well, do you think it might be the you know for the British our great weakness is charm, and for the Americans perhaps the great weakness is financial success. You know, anyone who's financially successful is sort of impressive in America. Well, you, you know, I mean, tell that to Romney. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work true. out so well for him. <laughs> Although that was sort of his only selling point. I mean, actually, actually the, 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 the virtue of Trump may be that he's, that he's in truth not financially successful. But um, he's got away with it. You know, he was, uh, I think somebody has always said, you know, he's the poor person's idea of a rich person. And that, well, that is very telling. And, the, and, the, and the sort of, there's a sort of bling idea of him, that he's a, that he's a brand and it could be all a lie. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, there's a Bannon thing where he says, you know, you, you know, it's at the moment, you know, he's, you know, Trump self-destructs at the moment when, when, when everybody finds out that he's not worth, you know, 10 billion or 4 billion or whatever billions that, you know, yeah. you know, that he's worth almost nothing at all. And, and he's just a, he's just a, a another grifter. Do you think he will self-destruct? Absolutely. When? I think he is self-destructing. I mean, I think that that actually, I think siege, you know, the dominant narrative is 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 now, you know, the waters part part for Trump that he's untouched, that no one can lay a glove on on mm. him, you know, and and I think the story in siege is about meltdown. That that is not. It's it every day he gets he gets things become more and more precarious for him. Every day he finds himself more and more alone. That it is just Trump in this White House. There is literally nobody else. Um, and I think that's unsustainable. Well, and perhaps that you know, the, 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 the consensus among the, exactly the sort of pundits who said he never could win in 2016 is that he's bound to win again in 2020. So if you go with the prevailing wisdom is usually wrong. Perhaps that's happening again. Yeah, no, I, and I firmly believe that it's a, a monumental stretch. I just, don't, I just cannot imagine how, how that happens, that he wins in 2020. Not just because his numbers are fundamentally incredibly weak, but because running for president, a national campaign, is a complex operation. You know, it's, it's, it's in the weeds. It's granular. And Trump can't do that. And he has surrounded himself within the campaign of, 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 of people who are, you know, second raters, third raters. You know, the head of the, the guy running the campaign, Brad Parscale, is another one of those Trumpian figures who comes from the, you know, who rises up on the basis of his own incompetence because it doesn't challenge Trump's incompetence. Yes. But that said, I mean, if, assuming they're not lying or making it up, the the fundraising has been pretty impressive from the Republicans so far, and that might be down to Pascali's digital fundraising. No, I, I, you, you know, I don't, 
I, I mean, the, the Republican money has nowhere else to go at this at this mm. at this point. You know, they raised them a lot of money during the um, 2018 midterm race, and they spent it all foolishly. So actually, the important thing is not how much money you raise, but how intelligently you spend it. And there is no intelligence there to guide the spending of this money. Michael, thank you very much. And uh, perhaps we can do it again after 2020. Uh, I'm, I'm on. <laughs>